my new life now that you look at what's good in a corporate world, what's good in a startup world, and bring both lives and worlds together to benefit from that. I'm not concentrating on a certain industry, I'm not concentrating on other aspects than looking at the people running the business. Monday morning, the investment community decided growth is not the factor anymore, you need to make EBIT. Yeah. Well, that's different from the gorillas of this world where growth was, was everything and traction and traffic. This episode is brought to you by WHU, the Otto Beisheim School of Management. WHU is reshaping the way students learn about business, management, finance, and entrepreneurship through its innovative programs and partnerships in Germany and across the globe. To learn more about this globally ranked university, visit whu.edu today. Hi, folks. Welcome to the newest episode of the Most Awesome Founder podcast. Today, we present another episode that was recorded on-site. This time, we recorded the episode on the Dusseldorf campus at WHO, and our esteemed audience are full-time MBA students who participate in the course Innovation and Transformation in the Digital Age. In this episode, I talk with Jörg Helwig. Between 2017 and 2022, Jörg has been the Chief Digital Officer at the specialty chemicals company Langsys. During his time at Langsys, he also co-founded Chemondis, which was one of the first B2B marketplaces in the chemical industry. Today, Jörg is an active angel investor, having some interesting investments in WU startups like Spectre Automation and Prematch. In the podcast episode, I discuss with Jörg the challenges of leading a digital transformation process in a 6 billion established corporate. At the same time, we also talk about what it means to be a mentor of young and rather inexperienced startup founders. I hope you will enjoy the show. Coming to you from WHU on the banks of the Rhine River in beautiful Fallendar, Germany. This is the best and most awesome founder podcast. A show about entrepreneurs, innovators, advisors, and educators, and the stories that make them who they are today. Jörg, great that you were able to make it, and welcome to the Dusseldorf campus. Thank you, Dries. Um, in this podcast, we always start with giving actually the guests uh, the opportunity to do some storytelling on their personal life. The floor is yours, I would say. Do you want to say something about your background, where you come from? Well, that would perhaps um, cover the 45 minutes entirely uh, <laughs> if I um, give you the entire story. Um, it's, a, it's a very interesting um, time of my career right now because I uh, left my corporate job. I'm an angel investor. I'm advising. I'm mentoring. Um, I love to be here at the BAU because I believe you're the center of uh, the universe in terms of startup companies. And I believe it's a very interesting time for startups right now because the funding environment has completely changed. Um, and the quality calls again um, for, for everything and uh, believe um, it's a great time to be a master student because you will enter a very interesting market out there. Okay, good. And we definitely come back to that later on. Maybe as a starting point, I would actually uh, want to go briefly back to your time uh, when you were a digital chief officer in Lanxys. According to your LinkedIn profile, you started that role in 2017 and you finished in 2022. Um, first of all, just for our audience, can you explain a bit what Lanxys actually is doing? Well, Lanxys is a uh, specialty chemicals company uh, headquartered in Cologne. Um, sales roughly uh, 8 billion uh, euros, about 15,000 people, very global company with a lot of assets in Germany and Europe because of uh, its buyer history. We were a spin-off of the buyer uh, aspirant company in 2004 but uh, also expansion into the North American market, South American market, uh, um, India, China, and so on. Um, it's a very interesting story because um, you can see the transition in the markets where you specialize more and more. The stock market does not really, the old stock market, old capital market, does not like these conglomerates anymore where you used to be very big and you had three, four different types of business. 
is actually the uh, reason why Bayer spun us off in 2004. Now we are in specialty chemicals and we're trying, or we were trying, to uh, uh, become global leaders in all fields, number one, two, or three, mm. and not be uh, one of many uh, where you have difficulties finding your niche and making the, the necessary profit. Okay, great. And so you became chief digital officer in 2017. Can you tell a bit more about what your exact responsibility was? What was the, the purpose behind becoming digital officer at Lanxess? Well, I can, I can tell you what my um, initial task was. Uh, my boss, the CEO of uh, Lanxess, Matthias Sarah, came back from Davos in 17 and said, uh, uh, there's something going on. Everybody's talking about digital transformation and uh, we need to do something. Hell, we can do it. Um, so that was my job assignment. Okay. Um, and uh, at that time, I was running uh, a global business uh, for Lanxess and I had very few clue about digital, IT, transformation and so on, because it was a very normal job to run a business of um, uh, 2,000 people, um, 500, 600, 700 million dollars. And um, so I talked to my boss, what, what should I do? And uh, he said, I don't know. Um, so we, we agreed on, uh, let's just try something out. Um, I uh, got the the assignment to bring technology into the company, to um, use technology more, more openly and uh, also find out whether you have this ambidexterity okay. um, opportunity that you, we keep on doing. We didn't want to change everything. Um, we keep on doing what we have been doing for many decades before, but better. But at the same time, perhaps close to the core, try to find new business models, opportunities. It was not like this, uh, um, this fear to miss out something and if we don't do it then we will get into a problem because that's negative. You should yeah. look openly at technology and um, also uh, never forget to take your people with you yeah. and not just make a decision on the board level. Uh, now we, we're going to be digital and uh, everything will be fine. A huge advantage for me was um, I was not a techie, I was not an IT person, I was just a business person and everything in digital transformation I always saw as a business project. Okay. With a little difference, you don't have a business case, you don't have a guarantee that the money comes back in three, four, five years, but um, at a certain time it has to pay off. So yeah. you, you should have a business purpose and not just this is exciting and everybody's doing it so I'm playing around. You should be uh, very consistent. You should be open, you should invest, but at a certain time you should also uh, become realistic. Is this really working out? Okay, but so as I understand it, your kind of how you then framed your role was like, let's explore what kind of opportunities digital technologies can uh, be relevant for Lanxess. Still quite close to the core, so we are not talking about moonshot projects, not? It's more Correct. about how can we actually leverage digital technologies to generate opportunities quite close to what we are doing today. Yes, and, because I learned, I don't have to say but after the comma, uh, yes, and also look at breaking rules. Okay. Um, breaking rules means um, look at everything you decided on your own over the last years or decades, how business should be run. We're not talking about laws and regulations. Uh -huh. Perhaps you don't like the tax law, the whatever law, but you have to follow it. You have to be compliant. But at the same time, uh, digital transformation is all about checking on whether any regulations you gave for yourself are still relevant. Okay. Or are they not burdening you? Not only in the new life, but perhaps in the old life. But you're so used in corporations, it is what it is. And we have had this for many years and it has all worked out, but this uh, ability to be allowed to really question everything. Okay, so but that sounds quite intriguing, not? <laughs> Breaking rules, I, I'm, I have difficulties to connect that with a German corporate that uh, has been a spin-off of Bayer. I would not think that breaking rules would be their motto, let's say it like that. You, know, you, you don't become the most famous and the most popular okay. manager and colleague in your company because you are stepping on more or less everybody's toes um, yeah. in asking these questions. Uh, on the one hand, we found a lot of things which make sense. And this is also 
jumping a little bit ahead, uh, my new life now that you look at what's good in a corporate world, what's good in a startup world, and bring both lives and worlds together to benefit from that. But at that time, it was very exciting because we were allowed also to do different things which had never been tested. Technology was perhaps not there. Plus, I had this CEO mandate. So I was reporting okay. directly to the CEO. I had this 007 James Bond license, um, which I hardly used. Okay. Everybody knew I had it, so you have a little bit more attention than reporting to the head of corporate development or the CFO or another corporate project. Yeah. Because um, I also helped my my boss at that time to um, to understand what's out there. Um, one of the funniest stories. I went to him uh, with a project. I explained it to him. He said yes. I did it. Another time, I went to my boss, explained the project to him. He said no, and I did it anyway. <laughs> <laughs> because I was so convinced that it was working and I had to excuse him because it was too weird, something like Hemondis, uh, founding a, a, a startup company within uh, a large corporation. And then you just have to make it later on that uh, he tells you that he was uh, the person who had the idea um, yeah. so that he was fine with that. Yeah. So in the end, you had to convince him that he came up with the idea. Yeah. yeah. That's great. Uh, and, and do you think, because that's something that typically is mentioned, I would say, in more academic research about how to have a successful digital transformation, that top management support is very important. So that seems to be reflected in your own experience, that that's very important also. Absolutely, because um, you're so used when you grow up in a large corporation, this, this law and order, you have a very uh, strict structure. We have a lot of regulations and it's very difficult for board members, for supervisory board members to understand what's in there. What, what is this digital transformation all about? What is this technology all about? Especially when you are um, positioned very strong. So you mm. make good money, yeah. you are world market leaders, you have huge assets. Why do you change? Why should you change? It's working. Yeah. So the, the, the main four reasons what I always heard why we should not transform ourselves was we have not invented it on our own. We've never done this before. We don't have time. We're so busy. Plus, we, we're successful anyway. And this reason number four is so dangerous, yeah. especially in these days, because, you know, from Friday to Monday, the world is changing these days and you have to be um, faster. You have to apply speed to your decision-making process. And for that, you need a different process to come to decisions. And can you tell a bit about how did you overcome that kind of resistance? Because I think it's normal that that kind of resistance is out there. And of course, a digital transformation has a kind of technological dimension. You need to have the, the people that can do the coding and the technical sophistication. But I think there is also indeed this human part that you need to be able to create awareness for the need for change, but also to convince people that change is important. So how as a chief digital officer do you do that? Well, I had a, a big advantage because I had been with the company for many years. I was running businesses, so I could go to my former colleagues running businesses um, with that story of, look, this really makes sense because they trusted me. There was mm. trust in our relationship. So they knew I'm not that corporate person who comes with the next corporate project where everybody has to work hard. You have to give up your best people, but it really doesn't give you anything. So um, in a personal discussion, I always had to go to my colleagues and uh, ask them, could you please give me one hour of your time? Mm. Um, why? Well, I want to show you something and I can guarantee you from tomorrow onwards, you get a half hour back every day. So you bring efficiency to yeah. processes, even on the top level. And that many times worked out because uh, technology um, is, is so um, powerful that especially when you go into repetitive processes, when you go into routine, it helps you to work more systematically, that you apply it once and then the data comes to you and you don't have to spend three quarters of your time looking into four different ERP, CRM, whatever systems to have the data available to make a decision. And this is true for all levels, even for the CEO. Yeah. So you, you, you have this idea of you open your computer in the morning and you have this dashboard and all the relevant data is there yeah. real okay. time. Um, it's many times not, 
but uh, you come to it uh, the more open you are um, and then it's just um, go in use cases go small steps and be successful and then um, this is mass, much more powerful than uh, using this propaganda digital transformation is important and uh, sending out the books um, when, when, when people see that there is success behind this it gives me time it uh, gives me options for future decisions and not reporting of the past then it's fairly easy plus never forget you can create a momentum in your workforce mm. so even if the top level doesn't like it the power of the streets okay. this uh, technology for future yeah. um, uh, power uh, is coming up and then people do what they think they should do because a it gives them an advantage in their daily work plus it's fun to have more time to be creative rather than um, wasting time in ERP systems and finding the green, green cursor on the black ground yeah. and uh, um, having to type in massive data so the, the data also connects people better so over the period of time um, it was tough at the beginning um, because of the reasons I just answered uh, made and, and gave and uh, over the period of time you find more and more people what helped us a lot was uh, an idea which uh, came up very early I didn't want to create a huge corporate center of digitalization mm -hmm. Um, so I kept my team very, very um, small, uh, but we created a what we call the digital driver community in okay. the company. So we found people on all levels, in all functions, in all regions, where we kept them in their functions, in their businesses, in their departments. But we called them digital drivers, so they got a little earmark. You are now a digital driver. We taught them a little bit more, we gave them information, and we asked them, um, give us your pain points. So what hurts you most in your yeah. daily job. Small things, bigger things, and we applied technology, so we were able to test technology there. When it worked, we scaled it up. So it works in department A, it should also work in department B, C, D, E, and so on. And if it didn't work, we got this ability, we, we learned um, to stop a project after two weeks. Okay, because, yeah. uh, so it's also, failing fast. Failing fast, it's a corporate disease that um, you do what I call junk research. Um, you test um, for the next periods uh, that it really doesn't work. <laughs> but uh, it's much better to use the resources. After two, three, four weeks, you test the technology. It's great technology, but it just cannot be applied yeah. to a chemical, especially chemicals global company. And then go to the next one okay. because there's so much stuff out there and most of the stuff is working. Yeah. And, and we are sitting here with an audience of very talented, high potential students that also pay quite some money to get a degree here. And so they need to learn something. And I think several of them might end up in quite a senior management position in a digital age. So my question to you as a chief digital officer, what kind of skills should these people have to excel? in a digital age nowadays? Well, getting a degree on VAU, you get everything on a theoretical base, what you need. So you learn everything, about, also about entrepreneurship and so on. Uh, what's very important is, is empathy, um, that you really, you can learn this. Some people say you cannot learn empathy, but you can learn this, talk as much as you can to people, uh, either the people reporting to you or important for your business because that is so key these days that you don't um, build everything on your past experience you have to update it all the time you have to really go on on real time mm. um, all the time and then um, be very open um, to technology I mean what you should do uh, these days but also realistic because uh, it is difficult to find a way in business how to apply the, the right technology to something over the period of time, I also learned it's not the case of finding the most sophisticated software for something, but also to upgrade yourself that you that you remain on on, on, on an eye level um, with your partners. Mm. For example, we worked with uh, highly sophisticated companies from the Silicon Valley. They came with an, an Airbus, that was before the pandemic, with an Airbus full of people and they just um, entered us and got all the data and they did a lot of magic and they presented something to us up to the point where I liked it, but I couldn't understand it anymore. Yeah. This black box, this yeah. machine, this, yeah. these algorithms. Um, so and then I, I started hiring 
uh, my own data scientists, um, software engineers, um, to make sure that we that we are not becoming we were already addicted, but to not become dependent completely. Yeah. Because it's a very uh, critical phase, and that also means that every company has to digitize its own. It's not only using technology, but understanding technology mm. and building up your own expertise in that. Yeah. And um, and then um, just perhaps a little uh, promotion for large companies: go to large corporations. Don't go only to the consulting companies, and don't only um, start your own companies. Uh, go into large corporations because they need you. <laughs> and many of them are more than willing to um, get people from the outside, young people, motivated people, skilled people with the right mindset to change from inside yeah. rather than being pushed from the Amazons of this world to um, do something completely different. What you don't like, what you don't understand, what you might not really do well in the future. Okay, great. I also want to briefly touch upon a specific initiative that you did during your time in Lanxys, namely uh, you founded actually a kind of new entity called Kimondis in 2019. First of all, can you explain a bit what Kimondis uh, did or is doing? Well, I, I explain to you why we we founded it and because that explains why what what it, it is doing um, at the time when i started my uh, chief digital officer function um, i made a decision to do everything at the same time so you cannot go chronologically like you start in the first year with r d second year you do production third year supply chain and so on no. so we started everywhere and at a certain time uh, it came to marketing and sales so we tried to digitize our digitize our sales efforts and the first uh, idea was uh, well, just let's let's, let's just list our products on the web page. After two weeks, I found out this is the most stupid idea I had <laughs> during that time because it's uh, so old-fashioned to um, just offer your products on the web page. Uh, plus, it doesn't create any value for the market. Um, then I started to look around and was trying to find something where I could offer the product via a platform. So this old uh, platform economy idea to um, participate in an ecosystem. Some platforms were out there, but nothing pleased me. Okay. They were either from our competitors, so they were extended web shops from these competitors of the chemical industry, or they were created by techies, but they had no clue about the complexity of the chemical industry. So mm -hmm. I went to my boss and asked him, or I told him, we will do this on our own. We no. will create a platform business, an e-commerce platform for the chemical industry. Um, he asked me, how much money will it cost? I said, I don't know. Uh, how long will it take? I said, well, let me, let me, let me check. And then I got to go. Okay. And um, so I, um, I started to um, the foundation of this, this company. I uh, recruited a, a Cologne-based software company to write the first codes. We started to uh, hire people and so on. And now, uh, moving fast forward, Kemondis is the most important e-commerce platform for the chemical industry. Um, in Europe, you have about 22, 23,000 chemical companies doing business with chemistry. Um, and about 50% of these companies are now registered okay. on Kemondis. So what does it do? You can sell your products via Chemondis, so you place your products on it and a interested company can buy these products, but that's kind of the second or third level. It's more um, this optimizing of the order fulfillment process. So you already have a relationship between the customer and supplier, but at that time it was very common, don't laugh, to fax in. <laughs> It's still something order. that in Germany is very prominent, not the fax machine. Absolutely. So on your email, your phone, in your order, someone is typing it in. So a very bureaucratic, very slow, very time and people consuming process. And when you now look at Kimondis, where a relationship between the supplier and customer might have been there for 10 years, 15 years, but now the product is placed there, the order is placed there, everything is done automatically in real time, 24-7 service. Um, this um, um, complete order process fulfillment thing is now digitized. It brings a lot of efficiency in yeah. uh, all the documents you need, MSDS sheets, material safety data sheets, uh, um, your forms for duty, 
and so on. You can order your transportation service provider with it. You can get a credit finance. Uh, you can uh, get other partners involved who store your material, and so on and so on. And this is this is what Kemondos is all about: bring efficiency to an yeah. industry which is still and at that time was very very traditional. And traditional here means very negative. If you have a fax machine on this side, a fax machine on that side, that side, you don't realize that this is not the right way of doing business anymore. Yeah, it's what, what we would call you give uh, customers a seamlessly integrated experience when they need to buy a certain type of chemicals. Yes, and, and you can buy more or less your entire needs for products and yeah. services via a platform. The relationship remains the same. Yes, you get more options. You, um, the market is becoming more transparent, especially when you talk about commodities. In the specialties area, it's more about reliability okay. and the fast exchange of data. This yeah. transactional data is very important. Yeah. So many times, many people on both sides of uh, the supplier and customer side are busy in answering questions like, uh, where's my container? Can I have two tons more? Um, uh, a disruption in the supply chain, uh, a strike over in, in France, a storm over the Atlantic, a container shortage uh, to China, and so on. And all this was and had to be done by people. Mm. So Monday, Friday, 8, 8 to 5 p.m. Um, and sometimes you do business where you have different time zones, you have different holidays. Yeah. Um, and you want to grab this data automatically when you need the data, you can connect the systems. And um, my vision for, for Kimonis for the future is that it even becomes um, a platform which uh, drives sustainability because okay. many emissions happen because of human errors, um, planning errors. Um, you can optimize production planning over more than one company relationship, supplier and customer. You could do it uh, for an entire paints and coatings industry, construction yeah. industry and so on. But for me, the, the interesting thing is that in the end, you developed a platform from within Langsess, but where you actually allowed your competitors to use the platform, which I can imagine that the first time that you went to the board to tell that, I can imagine that they were not all uh, <laughs> applauding you, I would say, because I can imagine that they would say, Jurek, what are you doing? You're now actually helping our competitors. <laughs> what are you thinking of? Or yes, am yes. I now underestimating the resistance? Yeah, after, after getting excited about the idea, you get all these uh, responses and nine out of 10 were negative, what you just said. So yeah. the general counsel, for example, said, oh no, um, we cannot do this. This uh, could be harmful. Yeah. Uh, for our company. Um, my business colleagues said we don't want to have transparency. Sometimes transparency is not wanted uh, <laughs> in, a, in an industry. Um, IT said we cannot uh, do this for you. HR said we don't have contracts for these techies. So we decided very early on we, we keep it completely separate okay. from the large company, which was the best decision. Okay. So, um, we fund it, we own it, but it's separate. Okay. We also consulted an external law firm, um, which was specialized on, on FTC rulings, on EU commission, cartel rights, and so on. And they gave us a lot of uh, hints. Uh, we actually talked to Margaret Vestager in Brussels. Okay. We talked to Helmut Mund in Bonn um, about what do you need. Uh, at that time, they were not very many laws out, there were ideas, so we assumed what was coming, which is now law, and uh, that helped us a lot. It was very painful at the beginning, but it was also a very good argument when I went to other chemical companies, competitors of ours, would you please also join Kemondis? They said at the beginning, why should I do that? You're yeah. a competitor. Yeah. I said, no, 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 I'm not a competitor. Your competitor owns this thing, but it's good for the industry. Yeah. And at a certain time, when we had the first products registered, um, for sure we used the unfair advantage that Langsys puts all its knowledge in there and put a lot of products out there. We talked to friendly customers. Could you please help us after initiating this MVP to optimize everything? Um, at that time, when, when they realized that uh, it is, yes, Langsys owned, but Kemondis is helpful to the industry. Plus, we had this push and pull effect, and after customers saw how good it was to purchase your needs and you get all the transactional data automatically, 
they went to other suppliers and asked them, could you please put your products out? Yeah. I still buy from you, but I wanted to buy it via Kimonis, and that helped a lot. Okay. So at the end, the market, the customers decide, and yeah. they decided that Kimonis is good for the industry. And in the end, it's, it's an, I think, still a quite rare example of a B2B platform. We, we know a lot of B2C platforms, mm -hmm. uh, but I think this is an, an interesting example about a, a B2B platform. Maybe based on, on your experience with Kimondis, what, what do you see as the most difficult challenge of kind of building a B2B platform? Many times you try to relate too much to B2C. Okay. So you, we had the slogan, we want to become the Amazon of the chemical industry. This is not good because B2C is completely different. Um, you, you hardly have a situation where a supplier, producer puts a product on Chemondis and a customer says, oh my God, this is cool, I buy this product. No, it's, it's B2B. You also have different requirements. I don't care whether I know where my truck is right now. It just has to arrive on okay. Monday morning between <laughs> six and eight. Yeah. And don't come at five because the door is not open. And don't come at nine because then the line of trucks is too long. Mm. So you, you have to understand the requirements of an industry and this is what B2B is all about. Um, make sure you, you don't distract yourself doing the coolest things. Um, we were also very keen in creating an MVP fast, but then very knowledgeable about the industry needs. What's the next thing? Mm. And you always have to distinguish between um, what is good for your company, that was Lanxis. So we got a lot of interest from Lanxis after these first um, um, periods. Uh, oh, this is cool, could you do this, this, this. But we, we made it not to become a Lanxis platform because many requirements from Lanxis were so special, they were not good for the industry. It was just good for Lanxis and its automotive customer. So we had to also create a system where we got all these requirements for new features. And then we had to not only track them, but list them on the priority list. What's next? Yeah. And then what you learn working with techies, what you don't want to have a new feature and then your system breaks. <laughs> so there's this ongoing testing, yeah. ongoing testing. Um, if, if we add this supply chain feature, if we add this insurance feature, does it kill the entire service? Because the more and more players you have on the platform, it has to run 24 seven. Yeah. So um, you learn. Uh, to run faster while you're walking, um, to be fast is very important. Um, and you have to also, at every time, make sure that you don't stand still. This is another learning coming from a large industry environment. You have a decade-long positioning. You have products, you have assets. Yes, there were competitors coming, but it was always, we still did five-year plans. Yeah. Many times they were true. Um, here, you created a commandment, it was, it was cool, we got pleased, but we saw this as um, also a call to move faster and move better. So we recruited a lot of talent, we, um, we set new goals. Um, big advantage was for sure we didn't have to do funding rounds. Okay, so yeah, because you had to. Yeah. Running the business, I was running the business at the very beginning, then because of the cartel authorities call, I had to step down, okay. I had to go out no. because all the people working at Kimonos should not and must not have any relationship to any any company in the chemical industry and not only to the owner, but we funded it. So no. the new managing director, the new C-level, which I recruited, um, could completely concentrate on the job and no. know how difficult it is and has become now to get uh, new money yeah. and when you grow fast you need more money and then you have to have more funding rounds and for the first years this was uh, all not necessary so 100% focus on business. Yeah, oh, clear. Good and maybe I think we are already making the transition so let's talk a bit about nowadays. So you have left Langsters and today uh, you're actually acting as a kind of angel investor in a lot of startups, uh, some also in the WAU community. So I saw LinkedIn that you're an angel investor in Prematch and Spectre, two I think of very promising startups in our ecosystem. We recently actually talked with uh, Nicholas Brackman from Prematch on the podcast. Now maybe um, 
from my understanding, I can assume, given your background, that you get quite some requests to become an angel investor in, in startups, digital startups. How do you decide in which startups to invest? Because we are talking here about pre-seed or seed investment, so it's very early, very uncertain. So how, as an angel investor, do you pick your, your bets? I've been doing this for a couple of years now. It did not only start last year when I left Lenses. Um, I had my first investment, I believe, in 2017-18, so that's uh, almost parallel to my chief digital officer job. Um, very easy answer, I invest in people. Okay. Um, I'm not concentrating on a certain industry. I'm not concentrating on other aspects than looking at the people running the business. Um, I have also not invested into a startup where now, one, three, four years later, the business model is equal to what I invested in. Yeah. Because Niklas in your podcast also said, yeah, we had an idea, but the idea was something and now the model, uh, the project, yeah. the pre-match thing is different. But if you say, I invest in people, what are you looking for in the people? Is it the brightest person? If it, I don't know, the most, uh, the best seller? What, what kind of characteristics are you looking for when you're investing as an angel investor? What is your secret checklist? It's um, very difficult. I, and I don't want to uh, openly talk about it because then you copy it. No. <laughs> um, it I think it's, it's also my experience working with people for many, many years um, that you, you understand that there's a combination of excitement, of uh, a profound business idea, of a team already established, which is working together. And then you also for sure look at um, the object. Uh, is football something where you can make money? Yes. Yeah. Yes, you can make a lot of money in football. Can you make money in, in construction? Yes. Can you make money in, in digital health? Yes. Um, I'm advising, I'm mentoring startups where I did not invest in because I said, this is really cool, but it's too small. Mm. Or you will not make it against the Googles of this world yeah. um, because this is impossible. So there's yeah. a realistic view on my investment um, chances. At the same time also, um, feel sometimes that it's my responsibility to invest okay. and to help funding, uh, especially very early stage startup companies because um, it's, it was difficult, it has become almost impossible these days to get good money when you, you go very early. I love early investments because if it works, you get your 10x on your investment. I have not lost any money, which is amazing. Okay. So uh, some, somehow I believe my system is, is pretty good. <laughs> yeah. And, um, and then you learn from every investment. Um, you also see that um, you offer advice. Many times advice is, is taken. Okay. Um, but it's not like in, in my old corporate job that you, you think you're, you're, um, you should be dominant, you should be um, very important. You also look at the other investors because somehow you always meet again in the specters, in the pre-match, uh, in the doctor boxes of this world that you, you enter into a community where you also exchange business opportunities and um, this is a good system that you create your own environment, your own ecosystem for investments and then um, it's more difficult to make the next decisions. Do I dilute no. or do I make the next investments? You need to create a deal flow mm. that somehow you also get money back no. to reinvest it into uh, the startups. Um, I'm getting tons of requests. And, and unfortunately, in the last six months, it has quadrupled. Yeah. Because there's so much uh, need for money out in the market and very few money available. Okay. Even in the pre-seed and seed stage? Yeah, okay. Because um, somehow on a, on, a, on a Monday morning, the investment community decided growth is not the factor anymore. You need to make EBIT. Yeah. Well, that's different from the gorillas of this world where growth was, was everything and traction and traffic. And, uh, and it's impossible. Okay. It's also the, this very difficult stage of monetizing what you created. If yeah. something is for free, fine, you will find 
enough uh, interested parties to use your your technology. The second you start charging, it's becoming difficult. So yeah. at a certain time, we also advise our startup companies, no, uh, it's too early okay. to take money. Okay. Yeah, but, but you need money. Well, we, we'll find you money. So then the community kicks in and says, okay, come on, um, we'll get you another funding or another loan mm. um, so that you have another three months to create a better system where you make your customers addicted, you make them dependent, hopefully, because they change their system or they use it so much that they don't want to miss out anymore and then they are willing to pay for that. Okay. And so, you, of course, you have worked for a long time in, in a corporate setting. So, I think you have a very deep understanding about what can be improved in terms of digitalization at corporates. But, but nowadays, huh, you're talking a lot with startups. I'm actually interested in, in where do you see room for improvement in terms of digitalization with startups? What kind of challenges do they face? Where, where can they improve themselves? Is there a specific domain that you see? One important factor is how easy is it to connect to large corporations. So, um, for example, you need to have the ability to um, get data out of ERP systems easily. So this mm. API factor. Yeah. Because every time you come with your very special package of software, an IT department will go ballistic, say, no, 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 I mean, we, we have so much stuff to do, we'll never make it, this is uh, not safe, security is very important that you answer the questions before the questions are being asked. Yes, we have looked at this and uh, we have this firewall ability and so on and so on, so that you earlier understand the needs of a large corporation, and okay. it doesn't matter which industry you're in, they're all the same. Um, because then it's then it's much easier when you have on your front page. Um, and yes, we we understand. Yeah, you have this, and we we, we can work with SAP. But, but does that mean now I try to kind of what you're saying implicitly? Does it does it mean that you might say some startups are a bit too arrogant that they are not willing to kind of accept that they need to adjust to the corporate, which is then their customer, I suppose. Well, they're, they're too excited about too excited. What, okay, to, to, to what they have and. Uh, um, I've seen so many startups coming to Lanxys and trying to offer their service because what startups are in desperate need of, they need to have pilots, they need to have use cases, they need to show that their piece of technology is working in yeah. an industrial environment, yeah. if you are in that world. And for that you have to um, get a little bit of excitement out and become a little bit more senior. I don't tell you come with a suit and tie because also in the corporations nobody is wearing suit and tie. Anymore, usually, but it's the, the seriousness, this understanding, this um, reflection of, I understand you, but please give me the chance to work with you. Yeah. And then it's easier. Yeah. Um, in the chemical industry, for example, you have uh, safety and compliance. Yeah. Two rules. You yeah. never compromise on these things. So if you have this on your front page, you're fine. Mm. You're fine. If it's on page 18, you will never make it to page 7. Yeah. The presentation. Yeah, but it means corporates have certain rules, regulations, norms that they simply have to have. Yeah. Yeah. And you as a startup need to respect that and to show that you understand that if you want to get into the company and create a relationship with Absolutely. them. Yeah. Absolutely. Yes. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. Okay, Jörg, um, I think this was very interesting. Also very interesting to see how you evolved over your career. I think that that's also very nice to see. Now, actually, um, what we always do is, if you go back in time and you go back to your younger self and you look at this trajectory that you have taken, what kind of advice would you give to yourself? If you would be like our students here, kind of at the start of an exciting career, what kind of advice would you give to yourself? Well, I, I, I should have looked at technology earlier. Okay. Because I'm of that age where um, there was technology out there, but now we don't need this. We, we, we have other tools. We have our beloved Excel sheets and um, do that, especially in communication tools. Um, everything which is uh, these days out there and which was out five years ago. Um, we, we, we should have, I should have used much more and not going to the old-fashioned way, or way of, of sending 100 emails per day with 50 people copied in and going into this uh, endless circle. Um, so um, 
communicate less and and um, accept that um, people in your business are the people having the most knowledge and let them do what they can do best and okay. not going into this law and order methodology but uh, using the talent um, I learned this in the last five years more and then in 20 years before that um, you you as a leader have to change more than your people reporting to you because they, they know intentionally what's best for the business and you block them more or less. So just the question you ask on a Monday morning, so what can I do to make your life, business life easier, yeah. better? Is there anything what I can do? It's much better than asking for reports and for the eight hour workshop um, PowerPoint presentation of 70 pages and so on. Um, if you talk about tools, do you have specific examples of tools that you could recommend to our audience nowadays? What, what kind of tools are you excited about? I love Teams um, as a main tool also for large corporations, okay. used for small uh, startups, but also for large corporations. No, I mean, and, and, and rather call someone for two minutes, uh, using the Scrum and the Sprint uh, methodology also for your, for your private life. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> not just uh, um, go in a routine that you do this or that and that. Um, make sure that you stay on top of uh, these things and don't use the fifth, sixth, seventh tool, which you can do it a little bit better than that because okay. then you you confuse yourself, you confuse your environment, uh, concentrate on one um, because you see that Teams is much better, was, became much better when Zoom came on. And so they, they do the, the tech um, um, upgrading anyway, but and then also um, you, you, you must make sure you stay on top of the technology, that you use it in a way it should be used and you don't bring the entire community working with you down to your level. Yeah. So it's sometimes um, this is also intriguing um, when you're a boss or you're a leader. Um, so just make sure you understand it enough so that it's, it's efficient and everybody can, can use it and uh, don't finish the team's call with, okay, can you send this to me per email? No, don't do that. <laughs> yeah. uh, because then you created the next uh, data symmetry, yeah, which okay. is not needed. Okay, then actually, my final question. Any books or podcasts that you would recommend to our audience here? Well, there's a great podcast out there. I think it's called uh, Most... Um, <laughs> and so on. So now we don't do self-advertising, <laughs> but... Um, I, I, I'm not shy to say I'm, I'm, I'm hardly reading books. I just don't have time to read books. Yeah. Um, I'm more on this uh, blink list thing and hitting there, hitting there, okay. getting tons of books. Uh, you get them for free, uh, Christmas time, birthday, and so on. They're piling up. So um, don't send your book as a present. Yeah, That's the... to me. It's, it's, it's great to have them on the bookshelf. Um, for me, it's more important to spend a half hour talking to someone. Okay. To go to Berlin, go to. Um, I'm spending a lot of time in Vienna right now. Um, go where the people are, talk to them, spend time with them. And but, but can I ask you then for a specific recommendation? Because I think that's interesting for the audience also here. Like, how do you do that? Because I can go to Berlin and go into a coffee shop, but not automatically I will meet the most interesting people. So well, what, what is your approach there in terms of networking, community building? Well, I, I used to have a very large network in the old world. In my industry life, um, networking was needed before it was called networking. Yeah. Building a relationship with your customers, with your suppliers, going on the road with your salespeople, seeing the customer at their production site and not sitting in this big headquarter building and making decisions. Um, I, I lived in the US for many years. I worked uh, for an Indian company for three years. I always traveled globally, so you created your network. Then, cut, there's this new world coming up. I had a lot of, a couple of people who helped me a lot to get introduced into the digital world. You know, this, this thing, hey, please, um, please meet Jörg, um, he has taken over this job and so on. So just getting this door opened. Yeah. Then you respond, you BCC your friend in so that uh, his email box is not being filled and you have a contact. You go there and you have 10 new contacts. So the digital world is, is different in networking. It's faster. So never promise something and then don't do it. That was one of the first experiences. I come back from a Silicon Valley trip. 
I had tons of meetings, and I promised saying yes and yes, and after three days, the first call, you wanted to come back to me. Hey, guys, I mean, I'm back. I have 500 emails. I have a board meeting. I have a workshop with McKinsey, and so on. Don't do that. Yeah. So if you dive into this digital network, you have to be like everybody else is fast, responsive, and even if you go back and say, well, I checked, it, it's not working, that's fine. And then you combine both, and that's very exciting, because also the old world is digitizing, um, the new world needs contacts, and there I'm very privileged to have both, and that's why when I go to Berlin, I just have to send a message out, and then I will find people at uh, my uh, Oberholz uh, coffee shops, my Starbucks, um, I'm getting invited to dinner, I invite for dinners, that's also something. Um, which is important that you um, play back and say, okay, yeah. let me throw something for my community where I bring people together. And then, uh, and this is very time consuming. That is perhaps the yeah. excuse why I cannot read books because <laughs> you, you do this in the morning, you do this in the evening, you travel still a lot, but it's, uh, it's cool, um, it's exciting, you, you meet a lot of people, and it's give and take. You never ask what's in there for me, but it comes back. Uh, multi-dimensional so whenever I have a question I have need I, I have a bunch of people I can ask but they do the same yeah so you are very purposefully investing a lot of time in building maintaining relationships because yeah. that you see as a very important part of your yeah. life. And, and not only for business I mean I'm, I'm connected to VAU you notice I, I've done a couple of things and I love to do it um, I'm in St. Gallen now um, um, I at lectures at ISADA, uh, TU Berlin, um, yeah. all these things, because I also believe that this country needs a closer connection between science, universities, business. I'm trying to do this with politics, but that's very... <laughs> okay. <laughs> and it's not very... Um, very... Um, it, 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 there's not a lot of things coming back, let me put it this way. Okay. On I the think other hand, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's very important, but it's difficult. It has become more and more difficult. I think that's a very intriguing topic, but also given the time, uh, I think let's do that for, uh, next time. <laughs> How to actually kind of connect with politics, I think that's very intriguing. But Jurek, I really want to thank you for sharing your insights. I think you had a very fascinating career uh, looking from different perspectives, and it's great to hear your insights about that. I hope that our audience also enjoyed the talk. Um, so thanks for attending. And of course, I also hope that our listeners enjoyed it. And let's get back to you next time. Bye. Bye.